This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes y Vidal. My guest today is Apurv Gupta, who is an assistant professor of economics at Dartmouth University. Today we're going to talk about his paper, Shocks and Technology Adoption, Evidence from Electronic Payment Systems, which is joined with Nicolas Crusset and Filippo Mezzanotti. The paper was published at the Journal of Political Economy in 2023. Apurv, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, George. Uh, Apur, can you start by telling us uh, what are uh, complementarities and what are network effects and the relation between uh, these two different but probably related concepts? So network effects uh, normally occur when the private uh, uh, benefit of using, for example, a technology is uh, positively correlated with the size of the network. So you want to use more Facebook when there are more users on Facebook. Or it could be that you want to play more video games when there are more video game consoles in the market. So that's broadly what network effects are. When your payoff depends more on uh, how many pe other people are using um, that network. So in, 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 in the setting when network effects are present, you can think about uh, your adoption decision to be strategic complements. Um, basically, I want to use the technology more and I, want, uh, and I decide to adopt the technology when I know that enough other users are going to adopt the technology. And that's basically how these two concepts are related. I guess that uh, another concept that follows from those is uh, something that you mentioned throughout uh, your paper, which is the concept of coordination failures. That is, uh, as you were describing, both of us might want to adopt a certain technology, but I don't adopt it because you haven't, and you don't adopt it because I have not. And then that means that maybe we are in some type of equilibrium or situation that is dominated by another one that might be better. Exactly. So so, so that's the whole uh, like motivation to do this study because as, as you just described, Jordi, like, like when, when you have these uh, situations, when your benefit depends on whether other people are adopting or not, other people are think thinking the same thing. They want to adopt when you adopt. So in such situation, um, basically coordination frictions arise. Hence, we ask um, what can be done in such situation to remove such coordination frictions. What could be the role of policymaker? What could be the role of companies? And hence, like broadly, whenever there are these strategic complementarities, coordination frictions could play a big role in limiting the adoption of technology. And as you mentioned, it could lead to multiple equilibria uh, where uh, either no one is adopting the technology or everyone decides to adopt the technology. Uh, and the big question is, how do we move from this bad equilibrium, as to say, to good equilibrium uh, where everyone adopts the technology? So these things that we have been discussing are very old ideas and there has been, you know, extensive theoretical literature uh, on this, but your paper is obviously mainly an empirical contribution. Could you tell us uh, what we knew prior to your paper about the empirical relevance of this uh, complementarity in, in technology adoption uh, forces and this potential issues of coordination failures. So yes, as you just mentioned, like theoretical literature in this area has been really lit. Uh, uh, so people have tried to argue that there are these frictions out there um, which limit the adoption of technology. Empirically, like there is mostly casual empiricism, uh, less so in terms of robust uh, empirical evidence. 
especially when it comes to the adoption decision of technology. For example, like in our working paper, uh, we we basically included some example of M-Pesa in Kenya, which is like a technology, which is also a two-sided market. So M-Pesa in Kenya is a digital e-wallet where people transact in the similar way uh, as the technology we consider in the paper. Um, and it is widely believed that in this technology, which was in Kenya, lockdowns during a political turmoil basically led people to adopt technology in the short run. As I said, this is all like casual empiricism. We we still like like before our paper, the empirical evidence on this situation, especially quantifying and uh, isolating this channel of strategic complementarities, uh, was not really present. By casual empiricism, essentially, what you mean is anecdotes. That exactly. is some business professor who wrote a book. And there is a chart there that has been drawn by hand in which there is some arrow that goes upwards and so on, but it's not backed up more than by, you know, visual, exactly. you know, visual evidence and uh, some type of story that they came up with. Exactly. And, 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 and another thing on this point I do want to point out is uh, um, um, there is also no evidence on dynamic ways in which like strategic complementarities play a role. There is a lot of literature that your decisions matter in my adoption decision. But in terms of dynamics, that whether shocks, like big shocks, which allow people to coordinate and remove these coordination frictions, how that move you from a bad equilibrium to new equilibrium in a dynamic sense, that has not been done to my knowledge. So your paper studies the adoption of a specific uh, financial product, which is a digital wallet technology during the 2016 demonetization episode in India. We'll go into this episode uh, in a second, but Can you start by telling us what a digital wallet is? Uh, yes. I, I'm very old-fashioned. I use debit card for everything. So I didn't exactly know what that product was prior to reading your paper. Yes. So so digital wallets are, uh, I mean, if, if, if people are in the US, they would be familiar with Venmo. Uh, but basically, this is a technology, which is like an app on your cell phone, uh, which is like a network of uh, uh, like a clearinghouse. It's like a clearinghouse where you associate your bank account as a user to this app. And then it becomes a clearinghouse of transaction. You can go and basically, uh, instead of like, as you said, like instead of like using debit cards, you can go uh, to a store and basically uh, ask them to pay for services using that digital wallet. They can basically uh, provide you a QR code. Uh, and that's the main thing, like for stores to accept this technology, they need to adopt this technology. Um, but but in, a, in a nutshell, it's basically an equivalence of, in terms of transaction, it's like a debit card with some key differences. Uh, one key difference is basically transaction cost. Um, if you know, like when you use debit card or credit, uh, or credit cards, there is kind of a interchange fee that goes into like this transaction. And this fee is basically imposed on, on the merchants when they basically ask you to pay using these debit cards. Um, let's say you are conducting a $100 transaction. They basically have to pay 3% of that $100, like $3 to, to this middleman, like Visa, MasterCard, uh, gets like one, uh, $1.50. The bank issuing that debit or credit card basically gets uh, $1.50. Now, this is more for credit cards than debit cards, but essentially what these payment technologies are doing is removing that cost, especially in developing countries to a large extent. Um, you just need a bank account, associate that bank account to an app, and then it becomes like a digital transaction mode for you. You can use your mobile phone to basically transact and pay uh, forms using that wallet. 
you could also use this digital wallet to trans to make peer-to-peer -peer transaction. That is like you and me. Let's say we want to transfer money. Now we don't need to like like meet in person and use cash to transfer that money. Or I don't need to basically use like uh, um, an online bank account to transfer that money. I can just use this digital wallet to transfer that money. And hence the term digital wallet. It's basically like transactions digitally on the mobile phone. So I have a mobile phone. And the, the cost of um, filling my mobile phone with apps, or at least with many apps, uh, is essentially zero from a monetary perspective. But there is a cognitive cost, which is that they are messing around everywhere. I never can find what I want. I have to download them. They take up space and so on. So are you like, I can see, I can see a scenario in which, as you are saying, the monetary cost of the transactions are zero, et cetera, et cetera. But is your claim that the cost really is zero? Uh, because if that was the case, uh, there will be no barriers essentially to adoption whatsoever. Therefore, even in the absence of anything, any shock or anything like this, everybody should have this app in their in their phone all the time if the cost is really zero. So, so, so that's a great point. In terms of like the adoption cost, like cognitive cost is considered sometimes, for example, a fixed cost that you need to pay this cognitive cost. You pay it upfront and the benefits you reap, uh, uh, you reap in the future. And I completely sympathize. In fact, like that's one of the things that we uh, do in the paper, try to uh, think of that as the alternative scenario, that uh, it's the fixed cost of adoption. It could be monetary, as I said, it could be non-monetary, as you said, the cognitive cost. And uh, we take that very seriously in the paper as the alternate explanation. And I'll explain in a while when, when I describe the episode of, of how we do that. But, but, but that is the main alternate theory uh, um, that is being postulated both, both theoretically as well empirically. We have a lot of empirical evidence that these costs actually matter. Okay, what is the, the, monet, the 2016 demonetization event uh, in India? What happened? So this is the policy of unprecedented scale in monetary economics. Um, basically, the, the Prime Minister of India came on television around 9 p.m. on, on November 8, 2016, and announced that beginning midnight, 500 rupees and 1,000 rupees cash bills, uh, the old bills will be voided. So think of 500 rupees as basically um, something like close to $5 right now and, uh, uh, and and 1,000 rupees note close to about $10 right now. Uh, they contributed about 86% of the currency in circulation. Uh, so that's a huge amount. Um, and uh, the motive of the government was uh, basically uh, based on the idea that a lot of black money, uh, which people call the shadow economy, has been operating and this policy will force people to deposit money into the bank account um, and hence like people who want to hide the money would not come to the bank account and they will basically uh, tackle this black money issue um, now the policy was that like they will discontinue the old bills old cash notes and introduce new bills so people had to come into the bank uh, branches to deposit their old cash uh, to the bank tellers and get new cash now anything sitting in the bank account is like digital money like, like you, like that's there but anything in cash had to be converted in order to be able to use that money to transact physically um and that in a nutshell was basically uh, the policy like uh, on november 8 they were given time till december 31st of that year to come into the bank system like people had to come into the bank system with their old bills and uh, they could get new money uh or like new bills of like 500 rupees and actually 2000 rupees. So they discontinued the 1000 rupees note and moved to 2000 rupees directly. 
if they were up for it, they could get new monies uh, uh, or like new cash bills based on uh, whatever they deposited or the monetary value they deposited. So I guess that this is not, uh, you know, like a specifically necessary for the rest of the paper. But I was wondering in, in reading this that if I am some type of mafioso that, you know, has a lot of black money in, could I not go to my neighbor who's not a criminal and and say, go to the bank with your old money, get the new banknotes, and then exchange, give them to me again. I will exchange my old banknotes for your new banknotes, and then you can go again to the money and get the new ones again. Like, wouldn't be like a role there for intermediaries yes. that will allow, you know, these uh, criminals or other, other type of people that have been targeted to circumvent this policy? There is definitely no doubt this happened to some extent. Um, there were uh, uh, anecdotal evidence that there were these cash recyclers and to some extent. Cash recyclers. Okay, that's the yes. word I was looking for. Yes, yes. <laughs> Clearly. So, so people uh, were proxy for other people uh, in terms of like uh, depositing their money, getting money and giving them back. Um, the extent to which this happened is not, un so it's not clear to me. And in fact, I believe uh, if you look at the numbers, so 99, if, if I remember correctly, 99.8% of the money came back into the system. So part of that would have happened because of uh, uh, some reasons like this. Uh, mm. If people found ways to deposit their money back into the banking system. Right. Either either the, the amount of black money had been overestimated. Yes. Or, or Yes, exactly. Like either you had estimated the amount of black money uh, or you had basically found ways to, to, to convert that black money. So this is definitely true, um, and as I'll describe uh, in, in a while, I'll 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 basically uh, make a case of why this should not be issue in the identification that we developed. But but in terms of like whether it was happening or not, there is no doubt this was happening. So tell me now about the the cash crunch uh, part of this story. So 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 if you think about it, if the process of demonetization was instantaneous. You could go into the bank, get new money, either through cash recycler, uh, uh, recyclers or through yourself. Um, there was uh, not much of a shock to begin with, right? But uh, the motive of the government was to keep the secret as much as possible. And hence the whole showdown. Like they came at 9 p.m., like gave only three hours um, as a deadline when banks were closed. But at the same time, one thing they uh, they uh, uh, forecasted was that uh, not a lot of money will come back into the system. Um, and uh, they also overestimated how smoothly this can be done. And hence a lot of money was uh, not printed beforehand. Um, the new banknotes. The new banknotes. Uh, um, again, anecdotal evidence, but but uh, the data uh, basically verifies that because the cash supply didn't restore instantaneously. Uh, the the cash sup uh, supply basically uh, uh, or cash supply shortage was there for about uh, three months. Um, so that basically generated or um, or prolonged the extent to which this was a shock um, because now there are like these pictures you can um, like if you just Google like you'll see like long lines of uh, uh, people outside ATMs ATM posting they were like basically out of money. Uh, people not being able to get cash on time, even when like they had waited in for like three, four hours. Um, so so in all in all, there was this cash crunch in the economy because money was not printed uh, to the extent the money was discontinued. Um, and uh, that generated this uh, prolonged effect uh, in terms of how long the shock persisted. So, so your thesis here or your idea here is that uh, we have uh, two technologies 
in in real world of course there are many others but let's just say for the sake of the argument we have cash which is the old technology and we have uh, the digital wallets which is the new technology and you know potentially not necessarily but let's say potentially everybody will be better if we were all using apps on our phone but of course the the vendors are not adopting the technology because the consumers are not and vice versa and some vendors are using because their neighbors are not using it and, and so on and so forth but now a new shock arrives that makes cash scarce and that temporarily you know even though it's a big shock and it's actually you know not so short but for a couple of months uh we need to find new solutions uh you have a dynamic model of technology adoption with complementarities uh, to guide the way that you are going to investigate uh, uh, patterns in the data to see whether the notion of network effects of complementarities uh, are predictive, consistent of, of what you find in the data. What are the main elements of this model and what predictions do you have? What is the intuition behind these predictions? Okay, so so uh, the main ingredients of the model are partly what you said. One is that you have two technologies to begin with. One is cash, or one is uh, uh, these digital wallets. Uh, now, there are benefits to use both the technologies, uh, but the benefit to use digital wallet also depends on how many other people are using this digital wallet. Um, and we say that for simplicity, think of benefit of using cash as kind of some process out there, like, like it's exogenously given process, but it is basically dependent on some shock. Um, now, you as a firm or a small uh, merchant are deciding what to do. Um, you were using cash, but not enough other people were using digital wallet. So you had no incentive to adopt the technology. But now suddenly, let's say, uh, and, and this is what we do in the model, suddenly let's say the for short period of time, the benefit of using the cash drops. Uh, uh, by a massive big amount. That's what big shocks are there for. If the shock was small, it, it might not lead to it. But suddenly the benefit to use the cash drop. Now, because this is happening to you, this is also happening to some other people in the economy because it's a big common shock. And once that happens, the relative benefit for using the digital wallet has increased for you. Uh, but at the same time, because that's just mechanical, right? At the same time, because a lot of people decided to use the technology. Now, in market term, in the if you think about the whole market, now the shock mechanically forced some people, more than the usual amount of people, to, to adopt the technology, right? And now let the shock dissipate. Let the shock go back to its normal level. But because you have now hit that critical mass in some areas where enough people have now are using the technology, then the utility for the firms to use the digital wallet has increased, right? Because of this complementarity. And hence the role of dynamic model, where shock at initial period, a large shock initial period, pushes some mass of firms to adopt the technology mechanically. But because now these firms have adopted the technology in the short run, in the long run, the shock need not play any role. Uh, um, and more firms will keep on adopting the technology because of this strategic complementarity benefit. So I'm going back to the issue of what is the cost of adopting the technology, um, if, if you don't mind. Yes. So the way that you are describing it is there is a shock and that creates a benefit for people to use the new technology relative to the old one because the old one, the cash is much worse, difficult to find, et cetera, et cetera. The benefit has increased and therefore some people are pushed and then the fact that other people are pushed creates the network effects, the complementarity, so further people are pushed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, but if the increase in the benefit has pushed some people over the line, that must mean somehow 
that the cost was not zero, right? Yes. Now you were saying earlier, and I, I don't want, uh, you will have some tests and then I, I don't want, you, you know, to do it on this point too much at this point uh, right now, but but you were saying at, uh, at some point, oh, but we investigate the fixed cost, this and that. One thing that is critical in the paper is that you can have only one technology at a time. So in the sense, there is a cost of adopting the digital wallet technology, which is that you don't have the cash technology. Uh, you know, in reality, that is not true. I mean, we can say, well, maybe this is capturing some other rigidity that there is. Okay, so it's not that the model has to, uh, you know, fit every feature of the wall perfectly well. It can be sometimes a metaphor for this or that. But you acknowledge the need for a cost there somewhere. Yes. So, so, so we do two things. First of all, is so let me provide you the intuition of how we rule out the fixed cost channel as not being the primary channel. So, as you said, like in suppose there are fixed costs to adoption, then demonetization shock happens. Some people basically now um, their benefit is higher now relative to the cost, so they decide to adopt. And because this is fixed cost, they don't want to go back because they've already paid this fixed cost, so it's like a sunk cost. Um, however, the people in the long run who are still adopting. So, so so that's our main result that even when the shock dissipates, so the shock dissipated by January, we see that new users keep on using the technology even by June. So the difference in the adoption rate in the long run versus the difference in the adoption rate in the short run is basically allowing us to quantify the effect of complementarities because the fixed cost channel should not operate in the long run uh, because demonetization shock has dissipated in June. And, 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 and so intuitively, that's the difference between like a fixed cost model uh, of adoption and a strategic complementarity model of adoption uh, because the fixed cost model cannot generate persistent growth in adoption uh, in the long run. Without the existence of complementarity. Exactly, exactly. Without, but, but you are not ruling out that a fixed cost might exist. Yes, exactly. We are not okay, ruling so that out. I want, to, I, I want to be clear about this. So it's yes. not, you, what you are claiming that it's not considered with the data is that, the, you know, the, the existence of only a fixed cost in fact, in fact, uh, in terms of our quantification exercise, like like basically the intuition of quantification is basically the difference in the long run adoption and the difference in the short run adoption, which is from like during the demonetization shock, tells us how much role complementarity has, strategic complementarity plays. And we, we basically give a number of 45%. So it's not like the whole adoption is driven just by just by complementarities, uh, but it is a major driving force um, in our framework. I'm going to repeat here the two main predictions that you have. Or the, two, the first two predictions that you have uh, uh, re referred to, and, and you tell me whether I'm interpreting it the right way or not. So the first one is that a temporary sh positive shock to the value of the electronic payment system has a persistent effect uh, on the level of the user base. Okay, there, there is a shock that pushes some people uh, over the line, but then once the shock disappears, the fact that there are more adopters means that the value of electronic payments to these adopters has increased, so they wish to remain there. Okay, that, you know, makes a lot of sense. That's fine. That is the one prediction that with a fixed cost only, that might still be possible, okay? Yes. Now, the second prediction is the one that uh, you uh, were arguing earlier is the, the differentiating factor. Uh, the shock also leads to a persistent response growth or persistent response on the growth rate of the user base, okay? So let me, let me see whether I understood this so some people are pushed over the line immediately, but for some people, the shock is not sufficient, you know, to push them over the line or something, or maybe they have like a negative idiosyncratic shock of using electronic payments or something, but then that idiosyncratic shock disappears, let's say in January, okay, when the shock had already gone. 
But then they wake up and say, wait a second, you know, we were still using cash because for whatever reason we had our grandmother on the field and she doesn't understand these app things, you know, but now she has, she has gone back home because Christmas is over or whatever uh, a holiday, you know, uh, <laughs> takes place in a different state in India. It will be Christmas if it is Kerala, but maybe not in other places. And now that, that negative, that idiosyncratic all has disappeared and we wake up and we see everybody else is using, or many other people are using um, this uh, digital wallet. Let's adopt it as well. And this is the one prediction that is unique to the notion of complementarities and comes from this dynamic component. Is that correct? Exactly. That's exactly the right interpretation. Just want to add uh, to your uh, intuition of uh, this idiosyncratic shock because of it, like not everyone is uh, adopting right away when the demonetization happened. And that has to do with like in our model, we had to incorporate like an adjustment cost. In the sense, not everyone can directly like adopt the technology. They, so that adjustment cost can actually come from exactly what you mentioned, like cognitive cost. Like just people are inattentive. They 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 don't know how to use the apps. There is no non not enough financial literacy. So there is some adjustment cost out there because of which not everyone adopts straight away. And these are the remaining non-adopters who wake up after January and see that the market equilibrium has changed. Initially there were none adopting. Now half of them have adopted because of demonetization. And then they come into the market and and increase that option. You have a third prediction, which is the existence of positive state dependence with respect to the initial user base. And I would like you to explain to me the intuition behind this third prediction of your model. Yes. So, so the third prediction of the model actually gets born out of uh, mostly any network externality model. Think about uh, like uh, who who adopts more. Think about two regions, like like one region with very high adoption. Think of this as like an urban center like Delhi uh, before demonetization. So let's say the adoption rate there was 10%. So 10% small firms out of total firms had adopted the technology because whatever reason uh, and uh, think and and compare that to a rural center or like a village in India um, where the adoption rate was much lower before demonetization now let's assume demonetization shock hits equally the two regions the probability that uh, Delhi, the urban region, will hit that critical mass is much higher than this rural center because of this network effect. The rural center was at low adoption, low initial adoption rate, and hence the probability that it will hit that critical mass is much lower compared to Delhi. And 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 then if the shock dissipates, what happens is that because Delhi has hit that critical mass, then the 10% in the long run might become 70%. Whereas uh, that rural region never hit the critical mass, and hence those network effects would not play a role in the long run. So it might come back to like a low number, like, like 0% or maybe like 10%. So in a nutshell, what is happening in the long run is that this inequality in adoption between the urban and rural region is actually increasing. Um, it goes from like a difference of about 10% to a difference of about 70%. Uh, now, rural and urban region is not the right terminology I should have used because we show that it's like we use like an identification, uh, which we can talk about later, where it's not just about being rural and urban that determines the state dependence. But basically, we find some districts which have a more initial adoption rate and compare them to districts with the uh, low initial adoption rate uh, and see where, what happens to these differences in the long run. And, and, and that's basically it. I'm going to uh, repeat your comparison and I'm going to use different numbers because you have been very shrewd in using the 10% number for Delhi. But instead of using that number, I'm going to use the 99% number for Delhi. Yes. Uh, and imagine that we have Delhi in which almost everybody is using the technology already and a village in which 25% of people are using the technology. 
Well, Delhi has already hit, you know, a, 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 a ceiling there. So your prediction, your prediction that the uh, size of the initial user base is positively correlated with the growth is only true if we are starting approaching the critical mass or inflection point from the bottom. But I don't know that we are approaching it from the bottom. Yes, yes. Like if we are up at the top, you know, that prediction is not there anymore, right? Yes, uh, completely right, Jordi. I should not have. Uh, um, so uh, I was a little, uh, 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 little. Uh, I don't know the term, but let me just give like this analogy a little differently. So if you think about like the 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 curve of like a diffusion path, it's normally S shaped. So so it uh, so if let's say you are a district which are sitting on the top side of S, and you compare this district to the bottom side of S in the long run, yes, you're right. Like the bottom district has the possibility to converge to the top side, and hence like the prediction of state dependence is not the way I said it is. So so depend. So in our scenario, to be precise, we were on the bottom side of S most of the district. This uh, this an empirical exactly. fact. It's exactly. not a theoretical. Exactly. I mean, it could be that the assumption of your theory is borne out by, you know, evidence in the data, but yeah, yeah. That, that's that's critical there. Yes. In, 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 in fact, like uh, we do see like in, in the data, 25% of the districts, they actually disadopt in the long run. 75% increase their adoption, but 25% of the districts actually have lower adoption in the long run compared to like the initial adoption rate. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It depends on where you are in the diffusion path in the initial state. Can you tell us now what data do you have and how do you construct your main um, data set? Yes. Uh, so our data set is basically from, uh, so in 2016, the, the market of uh, digital wallets in India was not as competitive at it, as it is now. There were uh, one de facto monopolist in the market, which had been operating. And we basically reached out to that uh, electric wallet company to, to provide us data on, on, on basically the, the firm side of adoption. And uh, so think of this as very, very small firms like hawkers on the street um, or a salon, uh, like haircutting salon, uh, which is basically now accepting payments. And we have data on about 1 million of these firms spread across across multiple districts in India. Um, so that that is the main data set that we use. Uh, we have information on uh, when the small firms joined the platform, started using the technology. So that's a proxy of our, our growth rate. Uh, we know their geolocation uh, up to basically district. Um, we know the amount they transacted and we know the number of transactions. All of this on like a weekly basis. Um, so that's the main data set on technology adoption. Um, and then on the explanatory variable, we all obviously have uh, various characteristics of district, but um, the main explanatory variable is uh, uh, exposure of a region to this demonetization shock, like how exposed a region is uh, to a demonetization shock. Uh, so all our uh, analysis is basically using spatial variation. This is spatial variation to how much a region was exposed to demonetization. And for that, we basically gather banking data can you tell us what a chess bank is for instance exactly so 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 let me just describe what this explanatory variable is 
So historically, the currency printing has been done in country in India. Uh, but whenever new notes are printed, they are basically sent out to these bank branches in local regions. Uh, and these bank branches are then uh, responsible for circulating these uh, notes, these cash bills in the local economy. Uh, and these are what are called chest branches. So chest branches would be, let's say, the State Bank of India would operate in like a region. State Bank is like a very, uh, State Bank of India is like a very big bank in India, it would have uh, uh, some of its branches would be allocated in a region to be responsible for distributing cash in that region. Uh, now, these are normal bank branches, just that they have additional infrastructure to, to, uh, to basically handle this whole distribution process. The idea was that if, if you're in a region uh, where you have more of these uh, banks, let's say state bank branches, let's say you're in a region where you have uh, more deposits, more market share of deposits held by banks, which also operate just branches in that area, you are less exposed to this demonetization shock. This is because the first money that is printed is coming to your area. Exactly. So so, so in an ideal world, there should be no friction in a frictionless world. Like money comes to a bank branch, a chest bank branch, and it distributes that money equally to, to all the branches, uh, all the bank branches, irrespective of who owns that branch, right? But anecdotally, what was happening is that these banks which were operating those chest branches in that region prioritized their own banks to receive the money first. And only after that, these other bank branches ended up receiving the money. And hence, if you had basically more market share as a chest bank in a region, the probability that you're affected by this demonetization cash crunch is going to be lower as compared to uh, if you had a low market share. And, and that allows us to create this spatial variation in how much a region was uh, uh, affected uh, by the cash crunch. What is the empirical strategy? So it's a pretty standard difference in difference empirical strategy here. So we basically have a continuous uh, treatment variable depending on this uh, share of uh, deposits, pre-demonetization deposits held by chest branches. So that provides us a continuous variation in how much our district was exposed to demonetization. We have uh, data on uh, adoption, usage of technology uh, at district level uh, through that uh, electronic wallet provider, digital wallet provider. We basically then construct like uh, measures of district level adoption on monthly basis. It's beginning uh, May 2016 and going to like June 2016. Um, and after that, we just run a standard difference and difference where we compare the overall um, uh, effect on adoption before and after demonetization um, across um, different intensity of treatments. What are the uh, findings with respect to the first prediction? So the first prediction, uh, we find that there is a huge jump in terms of the network size after demonetization. And, 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 and this jump is uh, uh, more in uh, areas that were more exposed to the cash crunch. So, so um, in the long run, you basically, as a, so the network size in terms of how much transactions and how many amount of transactions are occurring in our district is, uh, uh, is uh, positively affected by how large the cash crunch was in that district. So there is an increase uh, that coincides with a November, exactly. uh, 8th of November of 2016. And so the, the first prediction was that after that initial shock, the levels remain at, at, at a higher, at a higher rate. And the, when you do elites and lax estimates, uh, right, you, you indeed find that, uh, you know, this is different if so there are no differential trends, et cetera. 
But the critical thing is that, you know, even after January, those districts that had less chess banks adopted more electronic wallet payments, but also remained, you know, consistently at a higher level. Exactly. In fact, in fact, if you see, so in the paper, we show that using like an event study, as you said, like no pre-trends before, and then the slope increases during three months of demonetization. And then the slope remains flat in terms of how much people are adopting, uh, sorry, how much people are using the technology. What are the findings with respect to the second prediction? Now, the second prediction is the most uh, interesting and the important prediction. As, as I mentioned, this allows us to like uh, disentangle uh, various mechanisms. So in terms of prediction, we see that, yes, the growth rate initially uh, across uh, uh, districts with different intensity of shock was was same, basically no differences in, in adoption rate. Um, and then you see again, like an increased slope in, in the months of demonetization and the three months following demonetization. And then you see that the slope maintains, I mean, it decreases, obviously it will decrease as, as you were talking, it, it has to hit a S, S shape. So eventually some districts will converge because you can only increase adoption to a particular level. So, but it never goes down or dissipates uh, to its pre-level. So, so people kept on coming and joining the platform platform, uh, even after January 2016, when that shock had dissipated. And, 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 and hence, like the increase in network size, and because of this increased growth rate uh, on the platform. I'm going to repeat here uh, the first and second predictions as we described them earlier in the theoretical part, and then describe again um, the regressions as I understand them. And, the, and then I will ask you a puzzle that I have about how to reconcile all these things. So the, the first prediction was a temporary shock has a permanent effect on the levels. Okay? That's fine. The second prediction was, well, a temporary shock leads to additional growth even after the shock has disappeared. Okay, Because the issue of the complementarities, etc., etc. Now, the empirical counterpart of the first prediction is this different difference framework where the exposure you know, to the cash crunch is, is uh, captured by the presence of the chess banks. The dependent variable in this uh, empirical counterpart of the first prediction is the use of the electronic wallets. So the overall level of uh, transactions in the district by the firms in the district, the number of firms that are operating in the platform and so on. There, as we have discussed, you have this uh, diff and diff event study type of regressions, no differential trends, immediate reaction, the levels after three months remain at, at a higher level. The empirical counterpart of the second prediction is the same type of a, the same type of strategy, but now here the left-hand side variable is the number of new users to the platform, right? So, so and here the critical element is you see even after January people are still joining, right? These people are not joining because of the cash crunch because the cash crunch is is gone. Yeah. They are joining because other joins before them, right? And it is, I, I mean, I agree that this seems to strongly indicate the presence of complementarity because what else could it be, right? It is. But I, I, I want you to help me to reconcile uh, this apparent contradiction between the two findings, because the first finding is on the levels. Yes. Uh, and on the levels, we find that there is an increase, but that increase does not persist. It remains at the higher level, but there is no, you know, increase in growth. Uh, after January or maybe after February or something. But the second part of the evidence is that new users are joining the platform even after January or February. So one of the regressions is on the levels and the other one is on the growth. So the second regression tells us that the growth rate increases. The first regression tells us that the 
that there is an increase in the level, but there is no, no increase in the growth rate. You see how, you know, yeah. the, the evidence from the two sides seems to be a bit contradictory yeah. here. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think what you are saying if and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, I think, I, I think the issue is that in the first regression, why does the slope not remain positive? Uh, correct. That's, I guess, I guess a way of saying it in, in one line. Yes. yes. So, so. We have thought hard about it, and 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 to answer this question, we have dug deeper into the data in terms of heterogeneity. So what is happening here is that even within like like there's a lot of heterogeneity, as I mentioned, if you remember, that there is a lot of like disadoption in some of the districts because of this like state dependence. Uh, so it's it's some of the districts basically you see that uh, the growth rate is high, but in some of the districts you see actually the growth rate is negative. So partly what this has happened, the the aggregate effect on on the levels that you. Uh, even mentioning the uh, the long run effect on the on the levels is is basically coming from this disadoption as well. Like some in some districts, like the adoption is actually going down. Um, and 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 you have to uh, one thing you have to remember in the sec second prediction, we are not talking about the net adoption there. We are looking at growth rate in number of new users coming into the platform. That is firms who are active for the first time on the platform. We are not doing a net growth rate regression there because the prediction of the model is about the growth rate uh, of the new users. And hence, like, like we believe this was the way that we reconciled the evidence. And, and I believe that's like the, uh, the most robust evidence, what we have in terms of like explaining the two, two things you just mentioned. So I presume that in the model, every, every unit is identical in terms of size and all, but in practice, it seems to be that maybe small ones are joining, but big ones are leaving. And somehow on the, you know, on the overall transaction numbers, there is no change, but but uh, this is because there is heterogeneity of who is living and who is joining, correct? Exactly, exactly. We actually thought about like doing more in this dimension. Our data on uh, like the size of the firms only was limited up to the point we had data on electronic platforms because we could not link this data to others uh, to other settings. So, so I completely agree. Like even within districts, there there would be a lot of heterogeneity. We have some levels of uh, heterogeneity in industry across industries. Uh, but most of the argument that we make in the paper come from this like again. And spatial variation because that's where we tend to have the best data. What is the third prediction? Can you remind us what that was and how do you test for it? Yes, so so the third prediction is also really unique prediction of of this uh, network externalities model, uh, which is the state dependence, where your long run adoption depends on your initial condition. Um, so if you are low initial condition, uh, the chances that you'll go high is 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 low, uh, and hence it generates this inequality in adoption across regions. Now, now this is quite challenging to test because of like an issue of reflection problem that is like correlated shock. Um, now regions that are uh, basically initial, high initial adoption region could differ across multiple dimensions uh, compared to low adoption regions. So, so just running a regression on like initial adoption level and seeing how long run adoption changes after the shock is, is problematic uh, because of omitted variable bias. Uh, so, so we try to be little creative in this, in this dimension. Um, and we do the following. We basically, consider five payment hubs uh, before demonetization where this uh, technology was already pretty high as you were thinking about 99% right like like it could be Delhi in fact like Delhi was one of the city where adoption was really high to begin with uh, but there were this like five different hubs spread across India which were like five big metropolitan cities and then we rely on uh, or like piggyback on some of the literature already done on technology adoption which shows that uh, technology tends to diffuse spatially so, so if you're near a hub which has 
already adopted the technology a lot, then if you're closer to that hub, the chances that you'll adopt the technology are higher than compared to if you were if you were farther away from the hub. So we remove all these five hubs to begin with, but then we create a distance measure uh, of re of how much each region within every state was away from this hub. Like what, uh, and, 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 and we use that as a proxy of their initial adoption rate. So towns closer to Delhi uh, would basically have higher initial adoption as compared to towns uh, away from Delhi. And then we test whether uh, after the shock, the adoption across like uh, regions that were closer to these payment hubs was higher compared to regions that were away from the hub. And we do everything within a state. So, and we control for like urbanity or like distance to like the like commercial capital and so on. And we find a pretty strong evidence of, of basically um, this, uh, uh, this pattern of state dependence that if you were closer, if you are a district closer to the hub in the long run, you adopt the technology way more compared to district that were further away from the hub, uh, hence reinforcing the argument of the state dependence. I have three comments uh, with respect to this strategy. I mean, feel free to uh, respond to them or ignore them as you wish. But uh, the first one is that there seems to be a bit of a dissonance in focus between this way of approaching how complementarities take place with the other previous regressions that we were running. Now, you have, you have a model of a single economy. Right. And in a single economy, there is a shock and there are lots of firms in the economy, blah, blah, blah. But then in the empirical counterpart, you say, okay, well, there is a shock, but there is only one India. We cannot run a regression on, on the country India because we need, we need to have variation. So now we are going to see whether different areas were more or less subject to this. But the notion here is that these complementarities, these network effects are taking place within districts. In some sense, what you're doing is, Assuming implicitly that these are like island economies, uh, economies in which, well, they were all affected by this common shock, but what is happening depends on their neighbors and so on. This is a little bit different from what you're saying now, because now you're telling me, well, their adoption also depends on what their neighboring districts were doing, right? So I, this is not a criticism. It's, you know, like the empirics are never going to reflect, you know, the, uh, the, the theory work. And sometimes they're going to be contradictory with each other, but, you know, it's fine. But but I just wanted to mention it. The, the second question that I had was that, uh, so this, this is a reflection problem of the correlated shocks, you know? It could be something like, okay, we have like this, this area that is very pro-technology and that explains both the levels, but also the willingness to adopt it uh, subject to this. You know, whenever there is a shock that affects everybody at the same time, maybe there's a propensity that is higher and so on. So now you are proxying for this with the uh, adoption of their neighbors, okay? The hubs that are neighbors or something. So obviously that is assuming that the complementarities travel through space in a way that the correlation between the unobserved characteristics of the districts don't, right? Because you could say that, well, if I am a district that is next to Delhi, maybe my unobservables are also Delhi-like, you know? So that, that is an implicit assumption of the things that you are doing. My, my third uh, question, and forgive me for the you know laundry list here, is if you think that the exclusion restriction holds, in principle, you could have used distance to the hub as an instrument for the local adoption. So yes, so so uh, so let me just uh, answer uh, all of them together. Um, so in the first one, uh, you're absolutely right. Like it's uh, it's. Uh, hard to uh, uh, like basically reconcile some of the theory in 
and empirical evidence but but i i must point out in the in the in the model like we do generate heterogeneity across districts through this initial adoption rate now now like i'm 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 not saying that's exogenous like in the model we don't care we basically just let some districts begin at like different adoption rate and some districts uh, have like high and some districts low there we do not really care about this like uh, uh, exogeneity of of initial adoption rate on the second point that you mentioned uh, the reflection problem this is this is extremely tough problem to solve as as you would know so we do multiple tests in the paper to 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 address different parts of this reflection problem uh one 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 strategy we take is we basically gather data on another technology actually three another technologies that you could think of which might be affected by some of the correlated shocks now we don't know the correlated shocks right like like that's the omitted variable bias with the reflection problem so so what we do is that under the assumption that let's say some of these correlated shocks should have, should be exclusive to digital technologies let's see the adoption pattern of other technologies uh, which might be facing these correlated shock before and after demonetization so we consider three different technologies like bank account you can think of them as technology like adoption in bank account adoption is like mobile phone ownership but most importantly we basically find data on uh, loans on a financial technology platform and the idea is that let's say there were these correlated shock if they were affect if these correlated shocks were affecting the adoption of digital technology in some peculiar way before and after uh, um, after demonetization we should see similar pattern in all these technologies uh, as we see in our electronic wallets and and we basically find that the adoption rate in these three alternate technologies was like more or less flat um, and that basically allows us to make some progress in addressing this reflection problem of correlated shocks uh, or like that comes from correlated shocks now in terms of the exclusion restriction argument you said we actually did that like it's just not part of the paper because as you see the paper was already pretty dense so we wanted to keep it as simple as possible but we exactly did that exercise uh, of uh, uh, instrumenting uh, this uh, distance to the hub for the initial adoption rate we find basically um, similar coefficient qualitatively uh, and most importantly one thing uh, i do want to mention that we do test like obviously exclusion restriction we cannot like rule out completely but we test for like whether there are these other channels through which the adoption pattern through the state dependence can be explained and we basically rule out that that is not uh, really happening uh, so combination of these things give us like a lot of confidence on the empirical strategy but as i mentioned like reflection problem is an extremely tough problem to solve uh, even with like bunch of fixed effects and everything um, it's hard to solve so we came up with these like plethora of tests to say that this seems not to be the case and that correlated shocks are affecting our our results i'm going to uh, go back to, to the second prediction uh, if you don't mind which you mentioned is is, is really important and, and the empirical evidence on that because we have been discussing at different points in time the notion that this shock was temporary uh, you know we have a cash crunch in january the cash crunch is solved okay now i'm thinking so imagine that i was uh, in the car with my friend it's not my car it's my friend's car and we have a traffic accident and uh, everybody dies except me the car is completely destroyed but i am completely you know completely untouched healthy perfectly fine i wouldn't say that nothing has happened to me right like the psychological effects uh, have been severe and probably very long lasting I, you know, in the analogy that I was uh, describing earlier, uh, in which, you know, we are in uh, November and, and, Dece and December, we don't adopt the technology, 
uh, because we have like a, uh, you know, our grandmother is on the till, she doesn't understand this. We wake up in January and we say, wait a second, everybody has used it. That's evidence of complementarities and so on. Would it be possible that an alternative explanation is that we wake up in January and we say, we're not safe here, right? And we thought that the likelihood of this event was a precise zero. And now we're realizing that it is not a zero. It's a 10% chance uh, that this happens in the next five years. And it is important to be ready. And let's, you know, maybe there's a small fixed cost to pay of learning how this works or something. Let's just adopt it just in case with a little bit of, you know, like a lags in adoption with the change in expectations. Would that be, you know, an alternative explanation? That is a that is a really amazing point, Jordi. Like I'll 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 I'll, I'll tackle this or like I'll 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 try to like answer this um, by like kind of like disentangling two points you made. One is about uncertainty, like that people like this generated some uncertainty, change like future expectation of like government doing this again, uh, and uh, it's hard to like basically uh, see that empirically because we don't have expectations data we incorporated these things through the purview of the model in which like it was much easier to do so we incorporated some form of uncertainty in the shock and 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 we show that point in terms of like quantification exercise that does not like generate the effects that we have uh, documented um, now empirically it's hard to disentangle the effect of uncertainty but uh, let me tell you how we do that through the lens of learning, which was the second comment that you made, like like whether you like learn about like the benefits of the technology or not. So so uh, learning is a monster. If you think about like like canonical models of learning, they take different forms. Like you are sitting in demonetization, everyone is adopting. You might learn from by observing them, observing the behaviors of your peer, and that gives you some signal about how good or bad the technology is. And 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 it could also be that you are sitting, let's say, before your car crashes, um, you were talking about the technology, so so you learned about the technology socially. Um, so so what we do is that we basically uh, take an empirical approach here uh, because addressing learning theoretically and separating it from complementarities uh, as we see it in our paper is, is extremely hard. But let, me, let me just specify here. I'm not quite referring to learning um, here. I'm thinking that I wake up and I say, this could happen, but I am not close to a chess bank, right? What I have learned is that that potential future aggregate shock that will happen again is going to affect me specially. I see. Right? So it's not it's not that I learned how to use the technology from my peers or anything like this. It's that I have I have learned a message that differs from those in other districts because the reality is that I am more likely to be affected by the future uh you know cash crunch. Yes. Because of you know, like like my explanation is going through your instrument if or you yes, know yes, yes. through your independent variable if you yes. want, right? So just wanted to specify no, yes yes so, so so basically the instrument is really not capturing the effect of cash crunch but affecting uh, the expectation future expectation of the shop i mean so you you have you have survey evidence yes. saying consumers adopt electronic what what is because stores are adopting yes. them and so on right yes. so Exactly. So, uh, so that's what I was about to mention to this point is like, it's hard to uh, disentangle all these like forces empirically. So first we do it quantitatively by incorporating them in the model to the best extent possible. Second, we did like a survey of about like, I think 400 like consumers and forms online. So this was done uh, 
three years after demonetization, but I think it's a pretty good evidence because we asked the consumers to, to select multiple options, like whatever they can, uh, about how why they adopted the technology. So if you're a consumer, whether you adopted because others were adopting, if you're a firm, whether you were adopting because more consumers wanted the technology. Um, and uh, we asked whether, like how much of this has affected by other learning and how much it changed like your future belief uh, um, or like questions that captured future belief. So the top two things that came out were in this framework, uh, these network effects, um, as we call them, uh, and uh, learning channel. And the fact that uh, like cash is going to be hard to use or future expectation of the shocks did not uh, came up as the top responses uh, in our framework. Uh, you alluded earlier to the number 45%. Could you tell us what that was? So, so 45% is, uh, we, we use our model basically to, to, to conduct like counterfactuals. That is like, we basically say that, okay, what if let's say this identified complementarity, which was identified using the growth rate differences in the long and short run, uh, let's say we shut that down. How much of the adoption would we have seen, uh, in the long run? And we see that the adoption was basically 45% lower in the long run, if there were no complementarity. So that's how we come to this number of 45%. Basically, if you shut down the complementarity channel, how much the model can explain uh, the adoption pattern? And that's the main main uh, uh, main contribution of complementarity. So in the discussion that we had earlier of, well, the fixed cost, you know, is a component, but it cannot be the only component. The complementarities are also necessary to qualitatively um, reconcile the data. You put this into a structural model and you find, you know, that broadly speaking, 45% uh, yes. of the patterns of the, of the increase in adoption comes from the feedback effects, if you want, of the complementarities. Exactly, exactly. Like other 55 could be driven by other forces, but, but yes, 45% is primarily driven by complementarity. Uh, wonderful. Uh, Apur, uh, thank you for coming to the podcast. No, thank you, Jordi. It was a pleasure having you. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, uh, for other past or future episodes that you uh, may enjoy. Uh, introductory music and logo by Etana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan.